Hey, Blenders, on this week's show, plenty of new movie reviews and Dexter Fletcher joins us to talk about Ghosted. Hello, Blenders, and welcome. Welcome to episode number 258 of Real Blend, a podcast that thinks the reason Bo is so afraid is because he's not ready for Oppenheimer yet. My name is Sean O'Connell. I'm the managing right. editor here at Cinema Blend. <laughs> that's a really, that's a great not one. Ready, Kev. He's not yeah, ready, Kev. And we have to give a little context because in our text thread, all I do every time Jordan Peele or Christopher Nolan is about to release a movie is I always say that we're not ready because we and are. You're I mean, and you're scared. And we're scared. Uh, that's, that's a great, that's a great joke. Thank you. For that. You're very welcome. On this week's show, uh, lots of movie reviews. Uh, we have a ton of things that are coming to theaters, and we've managed to see almost all of it. So we'll have some comments and opinions about that stuff. And then, Dexter which is really Fletcher, hard to do. Well, that's our job. I mean, yeah. that's what that's what they pay us, <laughs> pay us to do. Would you interrupt me? I was saying Dexter Fletcher is going to be our guest. Dexter Fletcher directed uh, Rocket Man. He has a movie coming out called Ghosted. I was <laughs> I was going to throw something else out there. I'll leave it alone. Um, he has a show called Ghosted coming to Apple TV Plus. It stars Ana de Armas and Chris Evans, and you will hear that momentarily. But first, let me introduce the boys. I'm going to start with Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Hi, Jake. How are you doing today? Hello, handsome. How are you? Well, I'm doing well. I was going to wear my AMC Theaters uh, sweatshirt today. I want to thank the good folks at AMC Theaters for sending me a, uh, a, a copy of this. Um, what does it say? Heartbreak uh, feels good heartbreak in a place like this. Heartbreak feels good in a place like this. Yeah, but it's really... Yeah. Yeah. really, really warm here in Charlotte. And, uh, and, so. and true, like what happens to you when you get a girlfriend thing. My girlfriend has taken <laughs> taken the hoodie. I no longer possess it. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's her hoodie now. I know. Wait, you didn't mind. You guys got AMC hoodies. You didn't get one. We did. No. Kev, if you check, if you check an email thread where I actually responded to you oh. twice oh. and said, well, did uh, you? what size? I did. There's an email. What thread size and can, what color? What size and oh. what color? And your mailing address. And do you want Nicole Kim in to drop it off herself? And we all got to meet Nicole. We Kim. all did. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's Kevin McCarthy of Fox Five in Washington D.C. Hi, Kev. How are you, Jonathan? Jacob? Gabriel? Good to see you all. Great to be on with you guys as always. So much stuff to get to this week. Uh, well, let me say hi to Gabe. Hey, Gabe. How you doing? I'm good. I good. am wearing a sweatshirt, but it's not my AMC one. I didn't want to rub it in, but. Maybe next what week. is NR? Actually, mine, uh, mine, I, I got a different one. I'll, I'll wear it next week. Mine says we make movies better. I think I ended up getting oh, like interesting. Crew- I got the heartbreak one. Yeah, I know. I kind of wanted that one because it's funny, but I ended up getting a crew neck instead of a instead of a hoodie. Really rubbing this in Kevin's face. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. No, I just missed the email. Uh, we have a bonus uh, thing that we do, uh, a premium that you can sign up for. It gets you additional Real Blend episodes on Mondays, a newsletter. From me this week, I'm actually writing a newsletter. I'm not quite sure what it's going to be about. Uh, and you get an ad free version of the show. So that's the reason why you want to sign up for the Real Blend Premium. Check the description for information on where you can sign up. Uh, I want to plug that we had a bonus episode. We have a lot of interviews coming up recently uh, in the pipeline, basically, which is leading to us having bonus episodes that drop on Wednesdays. In addition to the interviews that we do as part of the full shows. Um, one we just did with... Uh, the director of Polite Society, which is a movie I'm going to be badgering you guys about uh, for the next couple of weeks to go see it as it rolls out into theaters. It's one of the things I've seen so far this year. But um, by the time you are listening to this, we will also have a bonus episode up with um, the filmmakers of the film Chevalier, which was at Toronto last year. Uh, this is Stephanie Robinson and Stephen Williams. Uh, they joined the show. We got a chance to talk to them. That is up on all of our different channels where you can hear our audio 
and you can listen to the or watch it if you want to on the YouTube channel as well, too. But this week, as previously teased, is Dexter Fletcher, who is coming back to the show. We had Dexter on, right? For Rocket no, Man? No, no, no. It's his first time. Hmm. Well, we interviewed him for the junket when we were in, in Los, uh, London, London for the Rocket Man junket. Um, and he's a great guest. He has terrific stories about working with Chris Evans and Ana de Armas, and he shares a little bit about his Sherlock Holmes 3, which may or may not happen. You have to listen to the interview to figure that out. Um, and talks about Ghosted, which is the movie that's coming to Apple TV. And he plus. plays the IMDb game. Oh, that's right. He does. I forgot about that. So li- all th- these are all fantastic reasons why you're going to want to listen to uh, our interview with Dexter Fletcher. So let's throw it to that right now. It's good to see you, sir. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, we wish we could be in person and maybe share some of that wine with you. How are you, my friend? Well, that's all right. It's actually water. I hate to disappoint you. Ah. It's, it's just water, but... You'd be welcome to it if you want. Well, you, you might want some wine by the time this conversation's over. And I'm going to be the one. I'm, I'm Jake. That's Sean. I'm going to be the one to to kick us off. We're so excited to talk with you um, about Thank Ghosted. You. Um, right. you know, one of the things I wanted to bring up was as I was watching this, I couldn't help but think that, like, if this movie were made 20 to 30 years ago, maybe in the, even the 90s, early 2000s, the roles would have been switched. It would have been uh, the guy who was the cool spy and the girl chasing after him. And I'm just sort of curious uh, how you perceive this movie being what it is as a result of the time frame in which it was made. Um, well, I mean, you could even argue that if it was only 10 years ago, that might well have been the case. You sure. Know, things have, have taken a, 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 like a very positive shift in the last decade or so, I think, you know, which is great. And I really felt that when I read it, and Chris came to to me about it. Um, the it was it was really baked into it. And then you know, Chris had a very clear idea about the fact he wanted to be a, an ordinary guy, you know, a relatable ordinary guy. And uh, this is something he hadn't really done for a while. And and the fact, simple fact of the story is is that Anna's character is something I suppose unexpected, but that just adds to the fun of it and the entertainment of it all. But we didn't really. We didn't really take it much into account. We just went, okay, that's that's the setup. This is the the there's the meet cute. That's all that's all healthy. That's all good. What's the thing that gets in the way of that? And it just happens to be that her job is is somewhat um, dangerous. At the, and and he gets himself in the middle of it. I thought it was just funny that you know you got this very high achiever and suddenly some bloke decides to follow her to work, uh, and, and just you know that to me was funny. Um, and, and Anna is, is brilliant at being angry. So that was, that was <laughs> uh, Dexter, these two come at the project with already established chemistry, uh, yeah. and, and really palpable chemistry. I think they bounce off of each other incredibly well. What does that give you, um, when you're going through your preparation, when your leads already have that established amount where they can almost hit the ground running, does does it really put you ahead of schedule in terms of where you want to get to? I, I, you're, you're, I, I, you know, I, I, Sean, the truth is, they came, they can't stand each other. They're like cat and dog. They're like oil and water. These two, they don't even want to be near each other. You like, know that's the headline we're going to take yeah, out yeah, of this I know. Interview, right? I know. <laughs> what can they sell? What can they sell? What am I getting into? I had to put them in a room together with nothing but a McFlurry, and they, they had to fight for it. Uh, no, you're right. They are. You're ahead of the game with these two because they're great friends. And, in fact, almost to the point where – they're sitting in the corner on their chairs just laughing at some random thing that only they get that they know is very funny between the two of them. 
and and the rest of us stand around, you know, looking slightly bemused, you know, and 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 one of them's making the joke, the other one's getting it, and I was always like the third party was like missing the point. But no, it 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 does um it does bode well for, for the for the product uh, the projects. But also they're great admirers of each other as well. And I think the fact Chris was really excited for her that she was stepping up in this way that people were really excited about after Bond, talk of ballerina. You know, mm. there's a real push for like, oh, she's going to be that that person. She's got that chops. And she equally found it hysterically funny of him dragging around his luggage, uh, falling over himself, swallowing rocks, you know, and, and being generally uh, pretty inept. Mm. And, and so... That that was a lot of the fun of it as well. They're 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 really kind of like admirers of each other. It sounds kind of corny to say maybe, but it's it's one of the lovely facts of it. And um, so I was very lucky ahead of the game there. Yeah, awesome. this is very inside baseball, but you'll understand it. Uh, I did the the junket for the Gray Man last yeah. summer, and yeah. they paired them together for the junket room. Oh, and yeah. now those their two characters hardly even interact in the movie. Logically, it makes no sense, but they put them together just because they're so good together. Yeah, I, I know. I, in Gray Man, I was like, they're not really in any scenes together. I saw them do that junket, and they were like, yeah, but we have such a laugh. I, was like, I bet they don't even know what the other yeah. one does until yeah. they see the movie. <laughs> no, it is, and it's just a testament to their friendship, really. And 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 it's Chris is is a is a great guy and, and much loved by, by, you know, everyone he works with. So um, when, when things didn't quite work out with Scarlet, which was his other great plan, I, I think, you know, that he, it was his next go-to sort of, I mean, I said to him, what about Anna is on the phone, you know, within the next three seconds. So, yeah. Oh, but, I don't even think I knew, was Scarlett Johansson supposed to play the part? There, initially, that was the idea. Yeah, when when he came to me uh, and we were talking about it and Sky Dance, and they were like, "Okay, we really think there's a good chance that Scarlett, she was certainly engaged, and Chris and her have been speaking about it." And there was a, the conversation got to a certain point, but then she had to make a choice, and another project moved, and so we didn't fit into her window. So you know, gotcha. and subsequently, ballerina moved, and we did fit into Anna's window. So wow. it was it's one of those things, you know. Look, it, it's. The choice between, you know, I don't know, a rock and a hard place. I mean, I, I wasn't going to complain about either option. Sure. Yeah, sure, exactly. for sure. Um, yeah. You know, we interviewed um, uh, a director of an action film uh, about a month ago, and he told me something interesting. He said that uh, when we started out making the movie, I got a whiteboard and I split it into two and I wrote down everything I love about this genre and I wrote down everything I hate about this genre. And I was fascinated about the hate side, things that <laughs> you just can't stand. So I am curious when you when you approach a genre like this, a, a well-loved genre, a genre that's been explored by filmmakers, what are aspects of movies like these, of this genre? genre that you say you know what that's been done to death can't stand mm. it hate it when other people do it i'm not going to do it um look i think you know beauty is in the eye of the beholder and, and and i think that sort of applies as well to to the vision that you bring to the film yourself i mean i for me i i i know what i do love and i and i and i always reference raiders and that first big chase when he's on the horse and he's chasing down the truck and and certainly it put me in mind of that for the first one because 
And he says a brilliant line in that. She says, what are you going to do? He says, I don't know. I'm making it up as I go along. Yeah. What I feel is, is that that is genuine. That's what Spielberg and Harrison brought to that moment is that you, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's making it up as he goes along. And that means he's not ahead of any of the punches. He's, if anything, he's behind them or taking them. And, 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 and so that's something that I wanted to instill into my action as much as possible. Because I understand there's a great choreographed moment, but it seemed to me that what I hate is feeling like uh, um, that the everything is just too conveniently dodged and sweet and move. And, you know, I suppose it's that that martial art kind of uh, 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 approach, which means that you're so good at what you do, you can see the move before it happens, which I... I don't like that. I want to. I want to see the move ah, as it happens, or even <laughs> after it's happened. That for me feels more immediate and and fun. So I really, I, I really lean into that more. Certainly with this film, because Evans's character doesn't know what is going on, and mm. that is a real. That's to be celebrated and, and exploited, uh, and and she is dealing with, you know, a six foot two baby. You know, <laughs> in effect, and 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 so that puts her a huge disadvantage. These are things that that are all assets, not not you know. Uh, and so I didn't do the white ball thing. I might try it, but I don't know. Maybe my list of hates would be really really long. <laughs> or I just love everything. I just love it all. <laughs> you know, you mentioned not seeing the punch coming. It reminds me, Tim Blake Nelson has a, a moment where he punches yeah. uh, someone. I won't mention who. And yeah. the way that you positioned your camera, you know, his punch is coming straight at the camera. I thought yeah, that was yeah. a really unique place to put your camera in that Thank shot. Thank you. Yeah, I know exactly, and and I and I and I do, and in the sound mix, I dial up all of those impacts as well, so they just feel. It's the same when 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 Anna's ex boyfriend takes a hit as well. I just mm. want them to come as a bit of a jolt, a bit of a shock. You, you know, it's all about, I suppose, about rhythm and timing and stuff, and just how you you play into those moments. So I'm. I am proud of those, those, anything that makes, gives us a, a, a little start or a little jump because it's so hard to do. You know, people are so savvy and, 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 and kind of uh, film literate. Sure. To be yeah. able to, to get something like that by them uh, or just still surprise them is, is a real point uh, scored. Um, and you can't blame them for that. It means you just, as the filmmaker, have to be smarter, you know, Absolutely. Be, be smart. You know, before we move off of Indy, uh, I have to mention that that line delivery by Harrison is the greatest because it could be played like a cliched hero, but yeah. he l literally plays it like a dude where he's just like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm making it up as I go along. It's such a terrific line reading. I'm so glad you brought it up. Oh, it's it's quality. But, you know, if, when we, if you can get those moments, you know, uh, it's the same for me when 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 Chris says I'm the boyfriend, you know, it was like that came out of like what's he going to say here? There was like different options, and you know, you knock stuff about, and he's like, I'm going to try this, and I was like, that's really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny that you mentioned Scarlett Johansson uh, as potentially being part of this because I was already going to bring up, um, and without, I'm not going to spoil anything. I don't want anybody to know what's in it, but there are some very significant uh, Marvel actors who pop up throughout this movie uh, many is. of them with ties to chris evans i wanted to know well i guess i was going to ask you is it was this something deliberate that you did to try to break a record of I, cameos what? <laughs> or is I it just know. simply that everyone's tied to the marvel universe and, yeah. and you can't cast anyone i just look i just cast the best people for the job that's mm. all i did and 
if there happens to be some loose affiliation with any other members of the cast, it's purely coincidental. And and I'm surprised as anyone that 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 they might have some previous acting history with Mr. Evans, as prolific as he is, ubiquitous even. Uh, okay. no, I, look, you know, it's it's one of the great joys. I mean, for me, that sequence is is an important sequence anyway. And I and I was really keen to just use those actors as actors. The fact that they bring that extra added fun, you know, does not hurt the film. It could have, it could have, I think, you know, you could be like, hang on a minute. And it would, I don't, I think for me, the success of that is that it doesn't take you out of the story that we're still no, following. Not at all. And it that, doesn't. And they were all very cognizant of that. That was what I spoke to them about. And even with the the the, the final appearance as well by that uh, our special friend there. Right. Um, with an eye patch, you know, because we're sort of trying to disguise it's him, but it's no getting away from who it is. <laughs> yeah. But again, it, it, I, we just don't want it to take you out of the out of the the fun of the movie, the the, right. the story. Um, and I think we're uh, mostly successful at that. I, hope I so. think so, too. Oh, thank you. Uh, you know, I want to use one of the, the ideas and the themes of this movie to ask sort of a bigger question. The theme being yeah. just being surprised by someone, someone not being who you think they're going to be, someone yeah. having a lot more layers and a lot more going on than you yeah. initially expected. You've worked with some of the greatest actors working today, an incredible collection of actors. Of all mm. the actors you worked with, which one had more going on than you thought? Which one had was was different than you expected them to be? Was a completely one eighty from maybe what you had initially even signed up for? Uh, I don't know about one eighty. I mean, that's that's an interesting question because it's almost like I'm going to say, well, I I thought Tim Blake Nelson was going to be really, you know, very perfunctory, but he turned out to be really actually quite layered and detailed. Um, no, I. I I always endeavor to work with the actors um uh to to you know uh dig as deep as possible and have as much fun exploring those characters I suppose um I could say Bryce Dallas Howard was you know uh, uh you know um not in an ungenerous way look like she's great and and but for her coming on as Elton's mother which is uh, um, you know, a, a woman born in 1950 or 1940 uh, who was a teenage mother, you know, and from a very particular part of London with a particular kind of accent, um, for, for Bryce to come and create Reggie Dwight's mum on Rocket Man uh, um, um, was, was not... I don't say, you know, look, actors, are, are, that's their stock in trade. They've got to be, they've got to be able to, to, to do something uh, that's a million miles away from them. But, but Bryce, you know, if you watch it, you, she's, she's loathsome in a lot of respects in that character. And, and Bryce is anything but that. Right. Right. Uh, and, 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 and so, so, you know, and, and, and the, 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 the fact that she was prepared to go there, and 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 you know, make her hair black and make herself look as different as as we all know her to you know, she looks nothing like she does in Jurassic World. I mean, her dad didn't even really recognize it was her when he came and did a set visit. He wasn't, you know, wow. he was so, the transformation was so so profound. <laughs> and and you know, she works on that accent, which is not easy. 
you know, acting with a different accent is is no matter how adept you are, is is I'm convinced one of the hardest things to do. Um, so I suppose that would be, uh, you know, just in terms of transformation, uh, uh, um, probably a, a, good, a good answer to that. That's a great answer. I, I don't know why I have this memory, but I will always remember this. Sean and I actually sat next to each other at the screening of Rocketman in London the night before the junket. And I remember, Sean, yeah. what were we maybe uh maybe 15 20 minutes in i just remember we looked at each other and go is it just me or is this fucking great and just like it was i i, I don't know what like you telling that story just unlocked that memory yeah, in my yeah, mind yeah. but i specifically yeah. remember that moment i think i think it, i don't know how far into the film it was but i think it was when he started to perform um your song i think it was oh uh, interesting yeah Which yeah, is yeah, a, yeah that it's brilliant a, sequence and yeah, it's a special moment. It is. And she's there. She's, mm -hmm. you know, she's yeah, there. She is. There, yes. standing in the door like, what the fuck am I hearing? You know? And, <laughs> right, right, right. Um, yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I appreciate that very much. Yeah. Thank you. That's great. So um, I, I want to touch back on something that you mentioned earlier, which is uh, the, your ability to tap into something we don't get to see that often, which is Chris Evans' physical comedy. Mm. Um, there are moments in this that are so out of character for him, you know, from what you would expect from his prototypical uh, acting style. And even when he transitioned over to, to Knives Out, he still played the sort of very confident, you know, smarmy sort of arrogant character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's this side of him that people are going to see in your movie that they do not expect. Um, is that always in him? Did he have to work really hard to get to that point? His timing is really sharp in this movie. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, he I don't think he will thank me for saying it, but not another teen movie which is his first movie. <laughs> yes, yes. He's very funny. He is. He's this is a podcast that, that loves that movie. Yes. Yeah, okay. He's fucking funny in that movie. And <laughs> I, I, those movies can be quite forgettable. But even I was like, that guy's funny, man. I yep. like, looks great, but he's genuinely funny. I, that was my only personal takeaway from that. I don't, you know, and 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 I and he I always remember him for that's that. Awesome. Watching Captain America, I'm like, that's that team movie guy. He's <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and look at him now. And so when I first met him, I was like, I gotta say it, man. He was like, oh my god, you saw that movie? I'm like, I really loved you in it. I thought it was fun. I thought it was that's a funny fucking movie because. Americans love making films about their teenage high school years. We don't do it in the UK like you guys do. You, you made a lot of movies about, you know, from American graffiti to Porky's to, you know, Animal House to Scream. And, yeah, you know, right. there's like this whole, you know, uh, raft of them that, that are like, okay, there's something really going on in the American psyche about their youth, about that, those formative years that we... In in the Brits, you know, we we don't we, we don't sort of have that. So, so I liked that movie because it sent that up that genre up really well. It, yes, stereotypes and tropes, and 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 he was like, oh wow. So I I really was excited when this came along because I was like, I want that Evans. Yeah, it's the Evans I want. Right, right. And uh, sometimes okay. he gets a little too far away from it. You think maybe he forgot how to do it, but I don't think that's the case. He, he hasn't. He could do I mean, you know, his physical comedy is great as well as his, you know, I Swallowed a Rock for me is like a great fucking line. And <laughs> you take someone of Evans' skill to deliver it. Yeah. It's all well and good to read I Swallowed a Rock on a page, but but to genuinely believe it, you know, it takes real skill. Dexter, I'm going to show you a photo that we uh, keep on our phones for the real blend, te uh, the real blend text thread, uh, 
we send that around to each other often <laughs> as a response. To- I, I am ashamed at how many like places in my phone I have yeah. that picture yeah. saved at different points. <laughs> I, I, have, I have the same picture of me like that. <laughs> <laughs> Weirdly enough, Sean does too have it. Sean yeah, also yeah, has a yeah, picture yeah, of you. Yeah. I've never understood yeah. how he had it. Yeah, it was a private conversation. But- <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Dexter, if you don't mind, we're going to shift gears and talk about a, a whole uh, range of things. Um, yeah. And this next question I'm going to ask you is one that that I'll, I only am allowing myself to ask you now that a few years have passed. Um, but yeah. if you were to ask me, what is the Oscar thing that has annoyed me most over the last 25 years? My number one answer might genuinely be Taron Edgerton not getting an Oscar nomination for Rocket Man. I've never been able to wrap my brain around that. I've never been able to say, how does this person win an Oscar for this? And Taron doesn't even get nominated. I'm just sort of curious as to like what that whole Oscar season was like for you and how you can wrap your brain around the idea that people look at that performance and don't give it an Oscar because I've never been able to make any sense of it. Oh, that's so hard. That's really hard for me. And I really appreciate you saying it, to be honest. And and, and I'm, I know Taron would. I, I mean, I I don't know. I mean, you know, look, the year before Rami deservedly won the Academy Award for 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 for, for Freddie and Bohemian Rhapsody, whether that was a factor, I I don't think so because I don't know. It seems a bit of spurious and a bit a bit shallow to just go. Well, you know, one one rock star won it one year, and someone playing a rock star can't win it the next year. I don't, I don't think that carries. I, I I don't know whether it was what other other people nominated or other films were out that year. I I, I, I got to say, it's a bit of a blur for me, even. I mean, look, he did win the Golden Globe. Mm-hmm. And that was an incredibly thrilling night for us all. And, and Elton was there with him and, and was, I think, more happy than anybody uh, uh, for Taron. I, I don't. I don't know. You know. Look. You know. There's many different theories about the, the Academy Awards, isn't there? That some that they're all a load of nonsense, or you know, they they are absolutely just where the the feeling is and the zeitgeist is of that moment, and and those are the those are the performances or the films or the craftspeople that that bubble to the surface and and get their awards. And you know, I'm I'm fairly confident that Taron will be able to deliver something that will will address that if you know what i mean that he, mm. he 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 will have another opportunity because he's a phenomenal actor and he's 32 years old or something ridiculously childish like that <laughs> right, so right. he's going to have other windows i think um and look you know luck of the draw i mean it's 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 really lovely that you that you that you feel so passionate about it and um uh yeah uh, well, I hope you I, hear. I hope you hear other people's responses to the film, and you know, and that you understand how well it's been uh, been received by everybody. Rocket Man. Yes. Yeah. 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 No. Uh, no. Look, I get a lot of a lot of uh, uh, a lot of affection and 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 great goodwill and 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 from people. Yeah. Look, you know, and I think it's also a testament to partly uh, in large part to to who Elton is and and how. And what he's achieved and done in his life and what his music does for people. And to be a part of that historic, you know, canon is obviously great. And and, and it comes with a responsibility. When you make a film like Rocket Man, you 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 can't you can't just think, well, we'll just, you know, do the old Elton John story, that'll be good. But the expectation is the bar's high, but that that's that's important 
because it means you hopefully can deliver. No, no, no. no look, uh, yeah, there's, it's undeniable the the the, the effects of Rocket Man. I, I I benefit from it now. You know, I I get Chris Evans phone me up and say I've got a script. Um, you know, and <laughs> I'm I would love to hear your your take on it. So right. And here I am talking to you now about ghosted. So yeah, yeah, I I, I definitely feel the 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 uh, reverberations of it. Um, Dexter, your name had been attached to the third Sherlock Holmes. I'm not sure if, the, if yeah. that's still the case. So is that a project that you're currently working on or in development? Not currently, no. I mean, the the the, the, the simple truth of it was that I worked closely with Robert uh, and Jude, uh, um, but mainly Robert um, for for quite a while on it, and we. Uh, got it to a certain point and then COVID hit mm. and that threw everyone to the winds and, 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 you know, these things are so delicate that, that getting now trying to pull all those threads back together to a meaningful place is proving to be, you know, difficult. I'm busy. He's busy. People are busy. You know, it's, it's, it's a big old thing. And, and, um, and I haven't spoken to him a while for a while, so I don't know where his appetite for it is. I'm sure it's there, but how it fits in his plan because mm-hmm. plans change. I, I can't answer to that. If if it came back, I would I would love love to do it. I'd okay. love to see it because the script was was brilliant. Um, uh, uh, and um, he's 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 a genius to my Who mind. Who wrote the script? Who worked on the script? Uh, there was there were different people. We ended up working with a fantastic writer called Joe Pennell. Okay. Joe Pennell uh, did a fantastic adaptation of Cormac McCarthy's *The Road*. Oh yeah, oh, sure, nice. Somewhat darker than the movie, but it had that kind of meat to it, you know. Joe, Joe, yeah, exactly. Joe's uh, a great, great writer. So we, we had a we had a great uh, ten days at, at Robert's place at the Hamptons with him, just. You know, Sherlock Holmesing for ten days continuously. It That's was, a dream. That's a dream. Was, I can't tell you. It was. It was like being a little slice of heaven. That was. He. Yeah. It was. It was so brilliant. And and to see Robert and the way his mind works and the and the and the sort of you know the the backflips that he could do uh, just with that character was was like wow. Uh, so yeah, my hope is very much that one day somewhere that will, uh, if not with me even, but with somewhere that that Robert makes that film. Okay. Yeah. We'll keep our hopes up. Yeah. Uh, Dexter, we, we have a game that we play on this podcast that we tend to save. I think, Sean, you can agree or disagree, like for our more fun guests. And I feel oh, yeah. like you would be be perfect for this. And it's called the IMDb game. Mm-hmm. And basically what it implies is that every person who is on IMDb, whenever you pull up their page, there are four titles that it says this person is most known for these four things. Now, the fun part is sometimes it is the most random arbitrary thing that you would never even imagine. Like, like I can't believe that they think that that person is no, is best known for that thing. Sometimes yep. it's editing or, or writing or directing, whatever the case may be. And oftentimes we ask our guests, what do they think their four titles are that IMDb says they are most <laughs> known for? So I, I would like to pitch the IMDb game to you and say, what do you think Dexter Fletcher is known for? My most fawn, my God, you're talking 50 years of, of experience. <laughs> years. And, and when you boy. hear what they are, you're going to be very frustrated, I guarantee. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm sure I will be. It's going to be something like, um, well, I would hope Lock, Stock and Zeus making barrels is in there, but I suspect it won't be. Um, uh, will it be like Hotel Babylon, which was a TV show that I did for the BBC for a, a while? Moment. Judging by the look on your face, no. Well, no, we're, not no, no we're, 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 we're writing down your oh, picks. Oh, I yep. see. 
yeah, yeah. Um, um, what else might be on there? Um, uh, uh, um, I did a Green Cross Code film when I was uh, Green Cross Code is a road safety film when I was six years old with with the current Doctor Who at the time, whose name is John Pertwee. Uh, that was a, that was called Splink. Uh, um, uh, it was the worst anachronism for stopping at the side of the curb of the road and not getting run over. <laughs> that was literally fifty years ago. That's a spicy pick. Uh, <laughs> yes, I know. I'm, I'm going as random as I possibly. It won't be that. Um, I hate Susie. Maybe I did a. I did this great series with Billy Piper. Uh, I did like a one a, one episode with her, but the show was quite fruity and quite wild. Um, that's four. I think those are four. Those are your, those are your four. If you want to lock those in, we I, can. I, uh, Doom. I'm Doom. I want to change Splink for Doom. The road safety volunteer for Doom. I reckon Doom right. might have made it because right. it was one of Dwayne's earliest films. Doom might have made that. Okay. Jake, right. would you like to? Uh, I, I can tell you that you, you, you made a good call changing Splink to Doom because Doom is on the list. Come on! Doom is on the list. Uh, Lockstock is on the list. Yes! So that's good. I like uh, it. You missed the other two. The other two are the Three Musketeers. Wow. And Kick Ass. Really? Okay. Yeah. Those are. <laughs> the four. I yeah. think one scene in Three Musketeers. That's apparently that is one of the things you are most known for. Well, well, I'm kick-ass. I'm kind of stunned that you didn't say Rocket Man, and I'm stunned that yeah. Rocket Man is not one of them. I know. I don't know. I think. I, yeah, I don't know. If my my IMDb page is really in a mess. It needs. To <laughs> that's going to be changed in 20 minutes. They're going to get a call, yeah. and that's going to be completely I'm gonna, changed. And get a huge PR company, and I'm going to engage them now, and that's it. It's all going to change. It's going to be Rocket Man. And ghosted. That's all we're going to say. We will get. We will play with people like John Totoro, you know, and he'll have yeah. like Transformers movies on there. And you're like, I bet. What? that's it. Exactly because when you've been around, you know, doing all these different it, these different things, you know, someone like John or myself, you know, it is. It's so random. You don't know what and, and what puts them on the front page. What who chooses those most known? We honestly don't know. Yeah. There's some kind of algorithm that's. That's choosing those things. So, well, Al should be ashamed of himself, whoever he is. <laughs> Al go rhythm, <laughs> Mr. Rhythm, Mr. Rhythm. Yes, so rhythm should be. <laughs> well, soon enough, when audiences are able to see Ghosted on Apple TV Plus, I think that will shoot back up to the top of your IMDb. Uh, and we want to thank you so much for coming on the Real Blend podcast to talk about it with us. It was, uh, it was great. Thank you, Dexter. It's always fun to have you on the show, man. Hopefully, we'll get you back for the next one. I'll be there. I'd love that. Thanks, Thank right, you, sir. sir. Thanks so Appreciate much. You. Take care now. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly, and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. 
Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Thank you so much to our friends at Apple TV Plus and, of course, to Dexter Fletcher for joining us for the new film, Ghosted, which we will review later on in the show. We're going to get to... um this week in movies and all the different titles that are going to be coming, as I mentioned. But before we jump on, I want to uh, pick Jake's brain a bit about Picard, because I yep. believe you're the only one on the show who's watching it. And I've heard nothing but incredible, incredible things about this third season of the show. So it, I want you to talk to me about you know what you're enjoying about it. But can you also frame it from a point of view of if I didn't watch uh, Next Generation or, you know, some of the other shows that were relevant to the Picard era, am I going to enjoy it as much? I, I still think you'll enjoy it just from an aspect of, of good storytelling. But I mean, there are a lot of aspects that you that at least require you in terms of like if you're going to get the full package deal of, of the feels, as it were, um, okay. that, that you should be somewhat connected to. Uh, you know, the, these next gen characters, it's like in the same way that sure you can watch the star Wars prequel trilogy, but if you don't know who Luke Han and Leia are, it's not going to mean as much to you kind of okay. thing. Um, the, you the know, story you know, is still good though. The story is still yeah, yeah, the story, the story is fantastic. Um, you know, but what's great about that is, you know, most, most fans of next gen would probably tell you that the the last Star Trek film that they got with that cast, which was Star Trek Nemesis, um, was a massive letdown. Like it, mm-hmm. it was sort of a, a, a lackluster finale, a lackluster send off for one of the great uh, sci fi cast TV cast um, of all time. Um, and so that always was sort of a, a blunder on on sort of sci fi greatness that, that it kind of just went out on a sour note. And for a lot of people. This third season of Picard, specifically this third season of Picard, is serving as that that epic finale and goodbye that that they were never given, that they felt like they were owed. Um, Nemesis failed in so many aspects. Picard solves that problem. And the funny thing is what I've been telling people. Look, it's it's a lot to tell people to, you know, watch three seasons of a TV show that they've never watched. But what I tell people is. You can just kind of watch season three and you'll Mm -hmm. be fine. There's one major plot point that I could sum up for you in about 30 seconds that you need to know that happened in season one. Season two is entirely skippable and then jump right into season three, which is its own story. And through really fun, organic ways, one by one, slowly starts bringing back the next generation cast Uh, in really great, smart ways. Uh, There are fun uh, bites of nostalgia that are earned in a lot of ways. It's not like, hey, remember, remember this thing, remember that thing. It's mm. everything about it is just it just feels 
right. Um, the guy who's the showrunner right now, Terry Metalis, if they're smart, they will let him run the future of Star Trek. They will let him become the Kevin Feige of, of, of Star Trek. It's just we've got the by the time this episode drops, the series finale uh, will have aired. Um, and, you know, guys, I talk a lot about how, uh, you know, I used to wake up before work and watch Mando. And that's how great it was. And that was the significance of, of that show to me that I did not want it ruined for me. And I no longer do that. In fact, I'm three episodes behind on Mando and like the finale comes out tomorrow and like, eh, I'll get around to it when I get around to it. I will uh, be waking up early. It is. It is a shame. Um, but unfortunately, they couldn't get Jack Black or Lizzo for uh, for Star Trek Picard. Um, <laughs> and uh, I just I, I will be waking up early before work uh, to watch the series finale of Picard. And this past episode, episode nine, without giving anything away, it featured a 15 minute se- sequence that is like stand up and cheer tears streaming down your face. Great. Like that's wow. that's how that's how good it is. Um, it's just it's phenomenal. And um, there's a, a buddy of mine who is uh, uh, one of the, the, the illustrious, incredible producers on my show who also just happens to be an illustrious, incredible fan of Real Blend and loves you guys. Uh, the way guy. he is very smart guy. Uh, his name is David. And uh, and he put it a perfect way that that there is a moment that where you sort of. uh because look, Sir Patrick Stewart is, is getting older and it sounds like he's getting older and it happens. But there is a moment where uh, he sits down and you you chills cr- across your body and you just look at him and go, holy shit, Picard is back. And you wow. feel like you've been transported 30 years in the past. And it's just phenomenal. So if you were at all Star Trek fan, if you were all next gen fan, if you ever were familiar with those characters, do yourself a favor. Treat it like a mini series. Treat it like a limited series. Um you know, I, and, and and enjoy the third season of Picard. It's really all you need. And it's a beautiful send off to an amazing cast of characters that that that's 20 years too late. But it's exactly exactly what these characters deserved. There you go. All right. I'm in. Um, let's get to the, the this weekend movies. We'll start with the film that we talked about at the beginning of the episode, made a little joke about, which is Bo is Afraid. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix starring in the new uh, Ari Aster Film. And unfortunately, up until this point, right as we're recording this, uh, none of us have seen it. I can say that I am going to it as soon as we are done recording. Uh, I believe the guys are catching up with it later on this week. I'm seeing it Thursday. Yeah. Kev's going to see it on Thursday. Um, and it's is it, it's kind of rolling out slowly. Is it like mm-hmm. a platform releasing? So yeah, I think, it's, it, it, I think it's full wide now this week. I think well, they no. Moved it to a wide, yeah. Right? This week. Yeah. yeah. It was this New York, week, LA last week. Yeah. Okay, so we will be discussing it as the show uh, rolls along. I'm sure we'll be giving our thoughts on what we think about it because it's new Ari Aster and it's our friend Joaquin Phoenix who enjoys coming on the show every once in a while. And um, so stay tuned for our opinions on that. Um, Kev got to see a movie that I am really, really excited about uh, called uh, The Covenant. Guy Ritchie's The Covenant starring Jake Gyllenhaal. This is a weird movie in the sense that I've been seeing commercials and trailers for it, but I could never tell the whole time if it was like going to Amazon Prime or coming to theaters. And maybe because it's so close to like there's a show out now called like The Diplomat and it feels like there's something else on Amazon Prime that's like similar to this. But like this is a full blown movie that's going to theaters. Yeah, I mean, it's Guy Ritchie. And I do want to mention just just for our own purposes, if you, we did have Ari Aster on for Midsommar. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Thanks. Go, go back and find that. He was fantastic. And also, and as Sean mentioned, we did have Joaquin Phoenix on for Joker, which is another great interview. If you're just finding us now, definitely t- check those out. Um, so Guy Ritchie, I, I, I got to shout him out because I feel like he's low key out there just making 
awesome movies and kind of flying under the radar. There was that great film that he did with Jason Statham, Wrath of Man, where they were the, the heist for the bank cars. And then the uh, the gentleman I thought was fantastic with Matthew McConaughey, a great performance from Hugh Grant in that movie as well. Um, I just feel like growing up, Guy Ritchie was such a big deal. Like for me, like like Snatch and Lockstock and obviously went on to do Sherlock. And I thought Man from Uncle was phenomenal. But I do find and again, I mean, this is just me that Guy Ritchie kind of is a little underrated nowadays i mean he Mm -hmm. was he was somebody that i was really gung-ho about going to see his movies i remember sneaking into snatch and like you know he had a very distinct vision um and i think with with this film the covenant this is uh this is the incredible uh, obviously jake gyllenhaal who i would also argue is underrated i think jake gyllenhaal is one of the most talented actors working today and i say underrated because i don't feel like Again, he's not a huge box office draw, but he's a brilliant performer. Um, and in this film, his character is a U.S. Army sergeant named John Kinley and essentially teams up with an Afghan interpreter played by Dar Salim, uh, who's unbelievable in the film. And the Covenant is it's a bond. So essentially what happens is they're they're They get ambushed and essentially the entire uh, everyone dies in the ambush, except for Joan Hall's character and Dar Salim's character. And at some point, Joan Hall's character gets uh, shot and cannot operate on his own at all. So this interpreter, uh, the character that Dar Salim plays, carries him across these mountains in Afghanistan. And it is incredibly uh, um, uh, hard to watch because you feel the, the 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 they're being you know they're being shot at and looked for by the Taliban and it's a really intense very brutal film um, but John Hall based and him on a have true a, story was it it's not based thing? on a true story but it's based on real thing this is a real aspect of war and the idea of having an interpreter and there are real stories that the, that this is being pulled from this story in, in itself is fiction but gotcha. at the end of the film they do show you images of real interpreters with the military. And it's very kind of an interesting thing to see because this bond that's formed. And what, what I loved about the film is so what ends up happening, and this is this is all in the trailers, uh, Essentially, essentially, Joan Hall's character gets home safe, but Dar Salim's character ends up having to hide out in Afghanistan with his with his uh, wife and child. And and Joan Hall's character wants to get him out. And that's kind of like the whole concept of the film is him trying to go back to Afghanistan to rescue him and bring him over to the United States and get him a visa and his family a visa. And I was just first of all, Guy Ritchie is he has a very signature style of filmmaking. But he doesn't really use what you would consider Guy Ritchie style in this film. There are shots and elements of score, but it's really a brutally immersive, intense look at just what it would be like to be on the ground in these mountains being hunted by the Taliban in Afghanistan. And it's genuinely interesting because Darceline's character you know, is is an Afghan interpreter. So a lot of people in, in Afghanistan, you know, you're betraying your country, et cetera. And mm. so he's protecting this, you know, this U.S. Army sergeant. And it's just like this, like really beautiful bond between these two characters and this idea that and Joan Hall says it in the film. He goes, I have a hook in me. And, and, that, and he has to go back and get this guy. And to me, that was just it just kind of grabbed me. I was also Anthony Starr, uh, who you might know from The Boys, 
phenomenal in this movie as well. I, I was just to me, I was immersed in it. I was I thought it was super intense. I think Guy Ritchie is a great storyteller. It's really edgy your seat. It's very, very brutal, but also just great performances. I mean, Joan Hall is phenomenal in this. Um, and, you know, he obviously he talks a little bit about this in the interviews that in he played in Jarhead. So he's done a, a character in the military prior. Um, but this is a very True. different character. This character is on a different level. This is a different rank. Um, and so I just found the film to be exceptional in terms of the way it's shot, scored, performed. I mean, listen, is at the end of the day, is it a perfect movie? No, I would give it a four out of five. I don't mm-hmm. think the reviews have been as kind to it as I'm being, but I I'm just really out here thinking that Guy Ritchie is just kind of flying under the radar right now. Like Wrath well, of Man and the Gentleman and this I thought were all great. I was very to that end, I wanna I just want to go over his his filmography. This yeah. is his run from 1998. Lock, stock, and two smoking barrels. Snatch. He veers into his relationship with Madonna and they do swept away. Okay, fine. Uh, Revolver. Rock yeah. and Rolla. Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes, A Game of Shadows. Man from Uncle. King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. Which was good. Uh, I liked King Arthur. I liked it a lot. The slow-mo I, was amazing. I didn't hate as Aladdin, eh. the gentleman, wrath of gentleman. man. And, um, and now, uh, the covenant. Also, I will say this is interesting. The, mo- the official title of this film is Guy Ritchie's the covenant. Did you guys know oh, really? that? Like that's no. the actual title. It's not just the covenant or Guy Ritchie's the movie. The covenant is Guy Ritchie's the covenant that he is. Like he is part of Butler. He's literally part of the title. I found that really interesting. I wondered what the choice was on that. And I didn't have a chance to interview him for it, but it was weird seeing that pop up. But that is the physical, well, the actual title. Discuss this with you guys. But as of next week, we are Sean O'Connell's Roblin. I hope you don't mind. I know <laughs> okay. this is my last Roblin episode. What were you counting? You were counting something. I was trying to know ones you counting, liked. Yeah. Ones I liked versus ones I didn't like. Oh, what'd you end up at? I, I, I uh, <laughs> heavily heavily liked but well, well then i then i started hitting because i haven't i don't think i've seen revolver okay so i started i started hitting ones i hadn't seen before um but rock i, I, I heavily, heavily like yeah i like rock and roll Great. i did not like wrath of man um so oh, that, I, no, that was, awesome. i was kind of left on a bad taste but I, I did love gentlemen i did not like his aladdin i so i've been hit and miss with guy Ritchie lately um but I, I i think i'm far heavier in liking guy Ritchie than not liking guy Ritchie. man from uncle amazing like genuinely amazing i I just feel like guy richie i don't know i just don't think he's talked about enough that was gonna be his franchise but yeah it didn't do that well and i mean he had henry cavill and army hammer back when we thought army hammer was was a normal dude gabe you want to say something i just feel like jillian i just feel like jillian hall is again I, i know everyone knows who he is this is like the same thing as someone saying brad pitt is an underrated actor. And eh. the reason we reason, the reason we say that though, is because they're so famous that you almost sometimes forget their, their body of work and their talent, in my opinion. And I think that like someone like Brad Pitt, like when you say underrated, it's not that he's not, not known. It's that I feel like there's not a lot of discussion about his talent, more about his celebrity and, and who he is. Gyllenhaal. Okay, I, I'm just jump like- in. I, I do. I want to ask you this question because I because I do think this is a fascinating study, though, about Gyllenhaal. People show up to Brad Pitt movies, though. People don't really show up to Gyllenhaal movies. Why do you think that is? Like for someone well, who is so famous. I know. Like, when was the last time he starred in a movie that actually did well at the box office? And, 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 and it's, far it's, from home. Well, and what's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. But like dollars. 
But I know, but he wasn't the star of it. But well, no, he was. He wasn't. Yeah, far from home. But I mean, you got to think about like you go back to Donnie Darko, broke back. Uh, I mean, I think. I mean, Prisoner, enemy, I think Prisoners did well. I think Prisoners. prisoners did well. I, I think. Yeah. Uh, I think we're overlooking the fact that he's not concerned with making Box billion office. dollar movies. He's been making. Sure. He was in Oakja. He was in Nocturnal Animals. Yeah. I mean, I'm not he knocking in, the guy. He, he does great work in great movies. I just, think it's, smaller I just films. think it's someone for someone who is so famous. Like he's not a box office draw. My point is, though, is he's not he's not in movies that that are set up for him to make a ton of money. I think he's taking movies so that they make more money than they should. Kind but of you know like what? He, I bet he could. More. I think he could if he wanted sure. to. He could make easy choices, you know, and and have a. But who? Well, I mean, we're opening up to a much bigger conversation here. But like, who is a draw nowadays? You know, just, like who honestly? I just think if you, if you the look theaters? at his, if you look at his choices since like Prince of Persia and Love and Other Drugs, like around that year, and Source Code, I guess, is kind of a big movie. I love Source Code. I like Source Code. Ever yeah. since then, I mean, we're talking End of Watch, which is a great oh, film. Oh gosh, really an amazing specific, movie. And that might have done well. I don't. I don't know on a box office front, but not a massive movie. Prisoners, if, Enemy, if Nightcrawler. We like, did Nightcrawler. Hall blend. Gyllenhaal blend would be really difficult. Be Man, Nightcrawler. Really difficult. Uh, we've, done Gyllenhaal. we've done Gyllenhaal blend. Have we? Dude. But we did Maggie, though. Nightcrawler. <laughs> anybody out there who hasn't <laughs> seen Denis Villeneuve's um, Enemy, see it. <laughs> it is out. Wait, Can have I, you guys seen Enemy? Oh, yeah. yeah. We, oh. oh, Enemy is perfect. Oh, yeah. We could redo... Jake Gyllenhaal. It was episode 55. Oh, that's been a while. <laughs> Do you want to know what you picked? Do you want to know what you picked? Of yeah, course. what were our choices? Sean, you picked Stronger. Oh, that's mm. a great movie. Wow. So again, and again, favorite performance. Favorite performance. This is what okay. I'm saying. Think about Jake, how underrated he is. All these movies we just forget about. Jake picked Nightcrawler. Yeah, I probably yeah. still would. And uh, Kevin picked Zodiac. He's a mad man. He's Think like, about oh Gyllenhaal's filmography. I know. It's, uh, how many credits does he have, uh, Gabe? Uh, let me look. I'm going to guess over 100. The reason he's so famous is because of his longevity. He's just been sure. around for decades. He's been doing steady work for 30, for 30 years. This is why he's underrated again, because I think he's making interesting choices, not obvious sure. choices. He's has fit without stuff that's yet to come out upcoming. His previous credits right now, 53. Wow. How? Man. So I think wow. he just I think he's committed to doing good work, making good choices. I just yeah. I just I don't awesome. know. For some reason, he just feels underrated. I don't know. Wow. All right. Let's move okay, on to great uh, in the covenant. Chevalier, which, um, again, plugging the interview that we did with writer Stephanie Robinson and director Stephen Williams. This is a period piece of sorts um, based on a. Is it based on a um, a, a, a book? Uh, well, yeah, it was, well, it was based on a real guy. Oh, it was based on a real guy. Yeah. OK, it's true. Uh, story. Played by Kelvin Harrison, Jr. And he was who was B.B. Uh, King and Elvis. Right. And he's a musical prodigy mm -hmm. um, who essentially is coming up during the time of Marie Antoinette and um, is trying to figure out how to get, fight his way into the cultural, the closed off sort of cultural scene uh, and comes with this bit of, you know, uh, arrogance, I think, uh, that comes with his talent, essentially, um, and the hurdles that he encounters over the course of his journey. Um, 
I, as mentioned in the interview, if you guys give a chance to listen to it, was really blown away by the, the use of um, music and performance in this. Like it's it's quite often a lot of the story is told through these musical performances, through these lengthy musical sequences that show just how good this uh, this guy is. Um, Chevalier, Chevalier is a um, title, is it not? It's a title that was a part of his name. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. But didn't have something to do with his musical abilities? It, the title uh, Chevalier? I thought the uh, title Chevalier had something to do with his I musical abilities. I looked all this abilities. up around the uh, junkie thing. I'm seeing um, a knight, a chivalrous man, a member of a certain order of knighthood or modern French okay. orders, such as a Legion yeah. of Honor. So it sounds like it's like an honorable. It, it was like a, it's like a title associated to him. Yeah. Like a sir, uh, such and such. What I liked most about it was that. And and we talk a bit about this with polite society as well, too, is that these certain period films tend to really just turn me off. I, I tune out of them. Right. They they speak a specific way. They they carry themselves with a specific air. Um, and I thought the Chevalier sort of punctured right through that. I thought it had a really great hook with some really strong performances. Um, and I was totally invested in this guy's journey through this you know a, a society that you see often in movies that are made uh, around this time period so there's a lot of familiarity to it but i really really appreciated the way that they found different ways to get into his story and to keep us engaged uh in the stuff that he was going through i thought kelvin harrison jr was fantastic in the part he just he has the type of like he pops like a movie star kind of thing. Um, he has incredible, incredible screen charisma. And the reason why I talked a bit about the character's arrogance is just I think that's the way that that Calvin Harrison uh, carried himself a bit in the role. It's like when somebody knows that they're very good at something. And for this character, it's he knew he was very good at 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 playing the violin or performing and composing. And I think Kelvin Harrison has a lot of confidence as an actor and it shines through really well in this part. It goes really well with the role. Um, but you do have to, it's, it's from focus features. It is a period piece. You do have to know sort of that going into it, but I think it's one of the better told ones with a, a an interesting story, some really interesting characters and a good hook into that world. So I, I ended up enjoying it. Um, and it's not the type of movie that I would recognize or that I would recommend Normally, I just think it worked better for me than than that types of films normally do. Jakey, were you with me on that or? Yeah, yeah, I really like this movie as well. Um, this movie features a lot of historical figures um, for which there have been a lot of movies made about them. And yeah. I felt like what what felt fresh about this movie is it feels like it's a lot of those stories told from a different perspective, sort of saying, you know, there was someone else in the room, too, who was worth talking about who is worth mm -hmm. mentioning um i always say like i don't know about you guys i love movie posters that take famous moments in movies but like put you on the other side of it or put you on a different angle and that mm -hmm. i kind of felt like this movie does that it puts you it gives you a story that you're very familiar with but from a completely different angle i think kelvin is one massive roll away from just being one of the biggest stars on the planet. Like he's got Absolutely. the talent, he's got the charm, yeah. he's got the charisma. And I think whenever he does get that, because it seems like right now, almost like a Jake Gyllenhaal thing where he's much more concerned about taking interesting parts and giving incredible performances than he is necessarily like starring in the next big blockbuster or whatever. When he mm -hmm. does finally take that part, that kind of puts him in, in the mainframe focus uh, for, for mainstream audiences. I think then they're going to look back and they're going to realize that he's got the resume of just incredible 
layered three-dimensional characters and performances that really indicate just what kind of actor he is like all those he he wasn't in elvis a lot but every moment he shared with austin butler i thought was absolutely incredible yeah um he's just a really really amazing actor um i i liked everything about this there's a really nice energy to it and you mentioned the musical performances that mm-hmm. almost remind me of like the rap battles from eight mile um that really just kind of have a really great lightning to them which i really appreciated Absolutely. Yes. The way that they're shot and the way that they um, position him as like an underdog almost, you know, coming into this society and the way that he's being judged. I wanted to look up because I felt like this movie won the People's Choice Awards at Toronto last year, but maybe Uh, not. I thought um, I thought Fablemans did. Oh, that might be true. Yeah, I think that's probably true. It was that I knew it got really good reviews coming out of Toronto last year. For some reason, I thought it won the award. Yeah. So Chevalier is coming to theaters. You should definitely check it out. Um, I'm going to do Ghosted because I am the only one here that has seen Ghosted. Um, Boy, I really wanted to like this movie. Uh, And it's just not good. Um, It's and it's like it's like actively bad and i feel this is and i feel terrible we talk about this all the time it's difficult to interview somebody who's a guest on the show um and then not like the movie that they are coming on the show to discuss but i honestly can't like i had a hard time getting through ghosted um it's essentially uh you have to believe this premise chris evans is a is a farmer um who uh is struggling to find the right girl. I've seen him split wood with his bare hands. I believe he's a farmer. I guess. I mean, I'm already in. <laughs> the farmer's not the not the aspect <laughs> oh, I'm concerned okay. about. Okay, yeah. I'm sorry. He, um, you know, he'll he works a table at a farmer's market. Um, w- very beautiful women come up to his his booth and openly flirt with him. But okay, he's so it acknowledges so, that he looks like Chris Evans. But he's so bad with girls that he can't quite figure out how to close the deal, kind of thing um yeah yeah they do acknowledge it but and like the other women around him at the tables are like you know honey look at she's flirt with you kind of thing and and he's like no i don't i don't really see that. so he's trying to play against type and he is there have been stories saying that he wants to stop playing the cool guy you know and want and after being captain america for x amount of years so he's trying to play nerdy which he doesn't do very well and he cute meets uh on a day armis Me you know thank you he if you do a meet cute, don't you cute meet somebody? <laughs> I'm trying to flip that in some way to make it Gabe, work. can you look that up? Oh, uh, hard pass. <laughs> the, <laughs> the verbal use of meet cute. That he, cute. he meets her. Um, is his past tense he cute met? And they, right. He met at him. Met, met, met cute at her. <laughs> uh, he, <laughs> let's see Thank it took for us 43 show. minutes to lose it <laughs> <derail the> <laughs> all right let me bring it back down to normal and say <laughs> so he ends up meeting on a day armis and the two of them have a um Again, flirtatious uh, bit of a relationship where they keep misunderstanding each other. Um, And then she doesn't respond to his text messages. He sends her two or three different text messages. Uh, His sister makes fun of him because he's needy, you know, in relationships. And he's the guy who always has to sort of, you know, be be constantly in communication with this person. So he... (laughs) It's so bad. This is in the opening couple of minutes. So I'm not really revealing too much about the movie at all. Um, he has asthma and he leaves his inhaler in her bag um, on their on their date, their first date kind of thing. 
And when he's concerned that she's not returning his uh, text messages, he <laughs> left one of those tracking chips, you know, that tells you where your wallet is or your cell phone is like that's on his um, inhaler. So he's able to see that she is in London um, that and he goes, oh, that's probably normal. She's uh, she's a businesswoman. She talked about, you know, that she was in like international freight kind of thing. And his mom goes, you should surprise her by going over there and and meeting her. Uh, and he goes, you know what? I've got some vacation time planned. That's a good idea. Is that so referred he, to in the genre a meat creep? Is that how they? <laughs> that's that probably how they oh, one way to put it. Yes. Interesting. So next thing you know, we're in London and he's trying to find Anna de Armas. So it's a dumb movie um, in that instance. Like it doesn't make a lot of sense. The premise is really, really weak. And then from that point on, uh, the film is a globe trotting type film that looks like it costs about thirty five dollars to make. Uh, and maybe it was covid, you know, maybe they had to shoot a ton on green screen and they weren't able to sort of go around and and shoot in all the different places they want to shoot. I don't know when they filmed this. I can only tell you that the finished product looks really, really bad. It's a bad premise. It's a really, really bad script. And the two of them uh, are not even enjoyable to watch, unfortunately. So I would skip Ghosted uh, at all costs. I'm bummed that instead of seeing uh, Evil Dead Rise, I had to watch Ghosted. Uh, and the boys instead got to watch the new chapter in the Evil Dead franchise. Kev, you talked about eating a big old plate of spaghetti while you were watching Evil Dead. Right? Yeah, <laughs> it's not it's a joke I made about Kevin eating lunch. You mentioned this is pretty gory, huh? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the movie is insane. I mean, I, I grew up on the Evil Dead film. So Sam Raimi was like a huge film school teacher for me. And just in terms of the way he used camera as POV, those incredible shots that as as we're in the POV of the evil going into the person, um, you know, there's some of the effects in Sam Raimi's early films, the practical effects, the stop motion animation, the hand. I mean, everything about those films was so unique and interesting. Uh, and then Army of Darkness was was incredible as well. And I even thought that was it the 2000. 2013 Evil Dead film was with just the Evil Dead, I think. Or no, the Evil so, Dead was the first one. Betty Alvarez, yeah. right? 81 was the Betty Evil Dead. Alvarez. 2013 was Evil Dead. Is this new one attached to that one at all? To the 2013? I, I mean, really. not that I know of from a story standpoint. I mean, okay. this one basically takes thing. place in a, you know, the other ones, from, correct me if I'm wrong, outside of Army of Darkness were in the woods, mm -hmm. right? In the cabin, in the, in the cabin. Yes. yeah. Even, mm -hmm. even the 2013 one, right, Jake? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I yeah. think so, that's kind of a staple of the franchise is like each one is kind of its own thing. Even when they have Ash, it's like Army of Darkness is a totally different. Does it have a necromancer, the, the book? Yep, Necronomicon, is, is that what it's called? You mean Necron the Book of the Dead? Book of the Dead. Yeah. 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 Is that in this? Oh, new yeah. One? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It? Yeah. That, it's got, it's got so all the cool. evil dead tropes. It's just not in gotcha. the cabin in the woods. Gotcha. And Alyssa Sutherland and Lily Sullivan uh, are the two leads. They're both Australian actresses. They play estranged sisters who essentially have a reunion that is <laughs> interrupted by uh, some disturbing violence and brutal, um, <laughs> bloody gore. And it's honestly, this movie was relentless. And I, I was telling the actors this. This is one of the first horror films I've seen in a long time where I didn't feel safe watching it. And oh, what wow. I mean by that is there's kids in this film. There's characters the the, the Alyssa Sutherland's character has children um, and they're there. Just because they're kids doesn't mean that they're not 
going to be involved in horribly violent sequences um, right. and they do not hold back. And that's the thing I found interesting about it is sometimes you think of a young kid in a film. And I know that this is different in every other horror film, but in, 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 in other horror films, we've seen it before and kids have been hurt in films before. We've seen it like it and things like that. But this was just on a different level um, <laughs> because we're in essentially in an apartment building the entire film. And it is just absolutely brutal, relentless, and there is nobody safe in this film. The youngest kids, the the sweetest children you can think of have are not safe from the violence that's about to be inflicted on these characters. And that's what makes the film so terrifying is that like, you just like you go, oh, they won't go there. And then you see somebody eat glass and swallow it and parts of it come out their neck. That's in the trailer. Um, but they found ways to really bring you into the violence. And at some point it just becomes so insane. It's actually legit scary. There are moments where like where Alyssa Sutherland's character, she's the the character that uh, Jacob, I don't, this is not spoiling anything. She's the one who kind of first gets taken over yep, um, in, in that, in that part of the story. And there's moments of her looking through the door uh, talking to her family that is that are, are, are images of her face that are going to terrify me for for years. Um, and it is from what I understand, they used over fifteen hundred gallons of blood, fake blood for this film. It is drenched in blood. There's a shining reference at one point, Jake. I'm sure you mm -hmm. caught that. Um, it Wait, is, is a story any good. Were yeah, you I mean, invested in the story. Yeah. Well, I mean, the story is basically two sisters who have been estranged. Uh, the one sister comes to visit and this all goes down. So it's, okay. you know, it's not really like the most insanely original concept, but the concept of the, of what makes the movie so scary is the way it's shot and okay. the claustrophobia you feel in the apartment and just the relentless nature of this evil and this possession and these flesh eating demons. And, and it, it is, it's just something that I wasn't expecting it to go where it went in terms of the violence level and kind of the way that, the younger characters are treated in, in the film. Yeah. Um, they just don't hold back. And I think that's what made the film so terrifying to me is that you sometimes you feel like you could be a little safe. You go, oh, nothing's going to happen to that person. That person, that little girl's going to be fine. <laughs> and I mean, it is it is very, very brutal, um, but also well acted, well shot, uh, really, really interesting in terms of the way they found ways to play with the violence and play with the blood and play with the apartment style building and being on the 14th floor. I think it was in the building itself and elevator being not not working or not being able to use the fire escape how would you get out what would you do um mm. so all those things come into play in terms of the intensity of it i was floored by it i was i i just didn't no one's really ready for how brutal this film is like it's really 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 uh, brutal so I, I thought it was incredibly well done um is it good yeah i mean i i thought it was a really very well made horror film uh, mm. would i see it again no <laughs> I don't want to watch that violence again, but and it is very in well the done. Of it is what you're saying. Yeah. Don't go to one of those yeah. dine-in theaters where yeah. they have a yeah. yeah wings. Yeah, get a Bloody Mary or something. Yeah, enjoy. Uh, Jake, yeah. Jake, you live in yeah. an apartment building. Did it change your mind about where you want to live? No, no, because I grew up in the woods. So I mean, it's you know between either either way, I'm screwed. Um, Ooh, uh, you know, I, yeah, I, I like this movie a lot. Um, you know, the Evil Dead movies have never necessarily been known for their wildly complicated plots. I mean, it's basically. I don't I don't mean to compare it to 
the the genre of torture porn because like the Evil Dead movies were always better than than that period of horror that came out in like the the early two thousands. But it, it is basically the concept of like person gets possessed and what are all the horrible things that are going to happen to that person and mm. the horrible things that that person is going to inflict on others and can you make it through the movie without covering your eyes while watching all these wild things um and and that's exactly what this evil dead delivers um the big sort of twist here with this film being that it um uh takes place in a i I feel like an unnamed city kevin they never do say whether it's like la or new york or detroit or whatever like i think it's just it's it's almost like seven where it's just supposed to be kind of a uh, an apartment building that could be in any major metropolis area um, as opposed to a cabin in the middle of the woods, as as is normally the case outside of Army of Darkness. Um, but I, I liked it a lot. There there were definitely moments where I was like, oh, my God, like, oh, my God, you know, like we kind of, you know, you watch it through through the cracks in your fingers. Um, you know, at the, these movies are oftentimes love letters to practical effects like, you know, Lee Cronin does a really good job of of of, you know, uh, honoring what Evil Dead started as with Sam Raimi. But also advancing using the technology that we have today. And, and you know, I got to give them credit. You know, a, a, any good Evil Dead movie knows that at some point you got to plug in a chainsaw and it's got to be utilized in a really fun, creative, graphic, brutal way. And he finds a really good way to do that. I will say that, you know, for the first two thirds of it, I was sort of watching and going, OK, like this is this is a good Evil Dead movie. But like it's not really outside of being in an apartment building. It's not breaking the mold. It's not really giving me really that much that i haven't seen before other than maybe like different ways to make me squeamish the last act i will tell you without giving anything away and kevin knows what i'm talking about the last act i went okay all right i this is this is new this is fresh this is this is this is fucked up to a level that that i was not prepared for i was not preparing to see that visual i was not preparing for 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 this movie to go that way so in a lot of ways he does attempt to to take a series of films that that like do have the capacity to kind of be repetitive in a way and and honor them, give give audiences what they love about them, but then also go like, OK, but then but here are all the things that, you know, but then what if at the end of the story this happened? And I think that's really what keeps it on the fresher end for me. I did like the, the 2013 uh, reimagining whatever it is you want to call it better than this one, because I do feel like for me, these stories just hit better when they exist in a cabin in the woods, like to me, evil dead is like that single, that singular cabin out there in the middle of the woods in the middle of nowhere. Like that's, that's what evil dead is to me in my heart. And I do appreciate them. That's why I like this one better though, because so it was, you, it, you like the, the, the city setting, angle. Yeah. The setting helped yeah. it. Like it, it, it's, if you could imagine like, like Bruce Campbell's cast in a, in an apartment building and what they could utilize. Sure. Um, um, it's yeah, it's interesting. It's, but I see what you're saying. I, yeah, yeah, I think I maybe once it. like if we start progressing and like getting these stories in different settings and then we realize that we get a better picture, a, a more a more broad portrait of these these demons taking place in different places around the earth, then then I think I'll, I'll it'll be easier for me to accept. But like for me, like in my heart, these evil dead has always been tethered to a singular cabin in the middle of the woods. And it just didn't it didn't hold me as much being in a in a in a singular apartment building it didn't it, it didn't have as much of an impact on me is it is it it's kind of fascinating me to think about this right now that this franchise although it's not like you know it's a beloved franchise by sure. horror fans it's not you know a blockbuster franchise necessarily but is it kind of fascinating that this hasn't really turned into a hey we need eight movies in a 
and characters that are yeah, what, fall, we, like, we, like we it hasn't got a, gotten a, screen a trilogy, six, you know, yeah, like, a, a trilogy, a TV show, a remake. This is five, a five and a TV show. This is five yeah. already. Yeah, um, yeah, but they're not like uh, what I mean is like they're not franchised in sure. like a connected well, you know, storyline. It's, it's funny, and even like, because keep in mind, Empire Magazine called the Ash the the greatest horror movie character of all time. Um, slow which he, down. I'm just telling you. I do. I'm just. I'm just telling you what happened. And so okay. uh, I interviewed Bruce Campbell uh, two weeks ago. And whenever I went to my newsroom, because I, I kind of disappear, I go to a different part of my studio. And whenever I came back, they're like, oh, who, who'd you interview? And I said, Bruce Campbell. And instantly, one of my producers goes, oh, from Sky High. Hell yeah. <laughs> and I was like, well, from, from, from Evil Dead, but, but sure. High is great, though. Yeah, but it's funny. It's, it's, it's almost, it's, it's, I, I said that that's the equivalent of me saying like, oh, I interviewed Jamie Lee Curtis and someone going, oh, from Freaky Friday. It's like, well, from, from Halloween, <laughs> but sure. Oh, from um, those commercials. Those, yeah, uh, yeah. commercials. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I, hey, that's Academy Award winner Jamie Lee Curtis now. Was um, there a moment in Evil Dead Rise um, where Bane shows up and says no one cares about him until he uh, wore the mask? How long have mm-hmm. you been saving that joke? Since you started talking. <laughs> He's been waiting on me to stop talking. Five minutes. I was either going to do that or I was going to try to do the Batman uh, voice when he told Jim Gordon about putting a coat around a, an orphan. Yeah. A reassuring gesture about Putting a code around an orphan. They, they the did have to do the. Thing. They did have to redo the demon's dialogue though, because you couldn't hear it. Did they really? Um, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. It's good to know. <laughs> All right, let's throw it to a break, and on the other side, we're going to play Sam Raimi blend. And we are back. Okay, so this week's blend game, uh, thanks to the Evil Dead Rise, is going to be Sam Raimi blend, and I will um, have Kevin choose his uh, favorite Sam Raimi film. Kev, where'd you go? Okay, so. Evil Dead 2 was the one that I was going to think of, but now I, I can't not use Spider-Man 2 because that's still next to the Winter Soldier, one of my favorite superhero films of all time. Um, just from a character perspective, the way Raimi directed that film, but also, you know, the Doc Ock aspect of it, Alfred Molina is incredible in that movie. That that was one of the first superhero films before The Dark Knight that I remember hitting me on a really dramatic level um, in a different way. Like Spider-Man 2, while it's fantastical and, and, and you know, has obviously it, it's, it's it is what it is. It's a superhero film. But I also felt like the drama and the performances and the Alfred Molina arc and the character and that whole ending, like there was just something special about Toby and him performing in the, in the end and just the arcs of the characters. And one of the things I loved about those Spider-Man films were, you know, especially even with like the the first one with Green Goblin and Willem Dafoe was the the person that the the villain would become when they would, you know, get into their suit or into their costume or whatever, um, whatever they were, their minds were being altered in some way. And there was always those strange emotional moments, those beautiful emotional moments where the person would come to. Right. And they would be themselves again. Mm-hmm. Um, they, didn't they do a reversal of a that nice in No callback. Way Home? Well, there's a nice callback on to that in No Way Home when they finally cure Norman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Defoe gives this great line reading where he looks mm-hmm. around and he goes, what have I done? You know, he knows right. he knows things went south somewhere, but he doesn't. Right. He has no recollection of it, essentially. And, and that's why like that's why those films work so well. Like like yeah. at the end of Spider-Man 2, like you understand Molina's position in his arc and what he went through and what he's doing and like how he's being controlled by this machine essentially um and i think 
those moments to me as aside from all the action and all the incredible special effects and the way Raimi, you know, Raimi was really kind of ahead of his time and learning how to figure out how to get Spider-Man to fly in the in these films. And um, there was just something interesting about the way he orchestrated these movies. And again, it was the grounded nature of them that hit me. But also the action in Spider-Man 2 is insane. That movie is awesome. The train sequence is insanely incredible. Um, and I just found that film you know, as a Danny Elfman's music. And there's just something special about that movie before The Dark Knight. Uh, it was just something that I that I felt grounded and, and connected to. And then The Dark Knight obviously took it to a whole different level and turned it into a crime drama, which was essentially heat. But at the end of the day, you know, the stepping stone from Raimi and kind of what he was doing and dealing. I mean, at the end of the day, when you're dealing with fantastical elements like a character called Spider-Man or a character called Doc Ock or, you know, Green Goblin or whatever you're dealing with, these are all so otherworldly aspects that are not, you know, that don't have human things that we can relate to in our real world. So to me, the point of a good director is then grounding those moments in real emotion and real character driven aspects with real great actors who can deliver it. I mean, Alfred Molina, I would imagine early in his career, do you think he ever imagined he'd be walking around with <laughs> an oct- <laughs> eight tentacles off of his, you know, off of his body and like doing, like, you know, CGI and special effects and things like that. And, you know, the effects on that movie looked amazing. Like they yeah. still look incredible well, how they the were able to pull that mostly are puppetry. It's or a puppetry. lot of puppetry in, in early right. stages. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable. It's working those arms. It's unbelievable. So that's that's my that's my favorite. I mean, Evil yeah, Dead you 2. Could have given, you could have given a two word reason why you chose Spider-Man 2. Why? B- Bill Pope, baby. Well, Bill, Bill Pope's brilliant. Bill Pope shot Genius cinematographer. Who also, yes. The Matrix. Um, yeah. He also shot Clueless. Um, <laughs> but he uh, he's a, he's a, yeah, he's an amazing DP. And yeah, I, I love Spider-Man 2. Evil Dead 2 had a special place in my heart because as a kid, when I saw that in high school, it was just remarkable. I had no idea how they were even doing it with the hand moving around. I was like, how did they do that? It's so cool. Um, so Spider-Man 2 is my, my choice. All right. Well, obviously, it's my choice as well, too. Jake, did you choose it as well? too? Yeah, but I did want to give a quick shout out to A Simple Plan, which is one of my favorite movie endings of all time. Um, if you haven't seen A Simple Plan, that is a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant film. And, uh, and I would love for Sam to make more movies like that if he got the chance. Well, keep going on on Spider-Man 2 for you and then I'll close it out because I actually wanted to do a simple plan also, but I just I can't put it over Spider-Man. And that's the thing, too. Like, I really I really wanted to, like, try to convince myself that it was a simple plan. But if we're talking like favorite, which is always the struggle of of this game, if we're talking true hearted favorite, um, I got to go Spider-Man 2. Everything Kevin said, Kevin beautifully said. um, But, you know, this movie really broke the mold and and explored. I don't want to say the first time to, to explore, but maybe one of the best examples of the impact that being a superhero has on the personal life of of these people, of Peter Parker. There's that, that beautiful, I think, if I had to, to list uh, the top 10 singular shots in superhero movies, that image of the suit of the Spider-Man suit halfway out the trash can as Peter Parkins walking away down the alley, it would probably be top five. Um, you know, a it, it, it really great example of balancing what makes this genre great to begin with, you know, everything, you know, the action and, and, and the amazing villains and, and the witty dialogue and the humor. But then also like the heart comes from like 
asking the audience, like you do realize that like this is hard, right? Like I, I get that you enjoy seeing this guy swing around and, and, and kick ass and beat up the bad guys. And that's a lot of fun. But like pause for a moment and realize how difficult this is on him. Like at the end of the day, I think one of the things that we all, all love about Peter Parker is that he's a kid. Like he was like, he's a, he's in high school in the, in the first one. He's just in college in the second one. Like he is what at our age we would refer to as a kid and, and no kid should have to shoulder the responsibility that he does. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, all he wants to do is, is go on a date and have a successful date. And anyone that age should be able to do that. But to say that you can't do it because it's your responsibility to save the city of New York is unfair. And I thought that, that the movie did a really great example of what if he's someone just threw their hands up in the air and said, you know what? I can't. I can't do it. You can't ask me to do it. It's not fair of you to ask me to do it. And to me, that is what makes this movie great is is then what what pushes him to that point and what brings him back. And that is why Spider-Man 2 is one of my favorite superhero movies of all time. And as much as I wanted to try to be cerebral and pick Simple Plan, I couldn't pick Spider-Man 2 over a Simple Plan. Or I couldn't pick Simple Plan over Spider-Man 2. I couldn't do it. Simple Plan, Simple Plan is incredible, though. Everybody yeah. needs to check that out if you haven't yet. Um, I don't know a lot about Spider-Man. I'll let you guys speak for him. So I'll just... Uh, you I'll know, just I wrote a book also. about it. <laughs> you, it's a really good one, too. You should definitely Thanks. check it out. I'm also writing one about Bruce Willis currently. It's the best. <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> is it really? Yeah. <laughs> I keep asking my friends to read it, but they never get back to me. Um, I... <laughs> I uh, okay, so the reason why I think Spider-Man man too is is Raimi's best film is because it showed he went into that picture with a confidence um that he didn't have in the first movie which you know he didn't know if all of it was going to work if it was going to connect and he had to serve a lot of different masters on the first movie in terms of the studio and in terms of marvel and and checking a lot of boxes that they thought that they thought they needed for their spider-man movie and for the most part they were correct but you don't get the um emergency room you know arms coming alive and yeah. attacking the doctors unless sam raimi feels more confident you know in his vision yeah. well and that's an evil dead get... that's such an evil dead love letter that that sequence absolutely yes it, he was allowed to finally start to bring his voice you know and the things that make sam raimi sam raimi something as stupid as the um the Peter Parker coming out of the broom closet and all the mops falling on him, you know, yeah. like he waits a minute or two Ramey in that moment because he knows it's funny and McGuire plays a great. And that's why pizza time is such a terrific meme that everybody really enjoys. Um, it's the little moments. It's, it's when uh, Molina and Tommy McGuire are just sitting around discussing uh, the science that they both love so much before Molina turns into Dr. Octopus and then bonding over there their love of of knowledge, essentially, which I think is so beautiful. And that's what sets up their relationship later on. The loss of of Alfred um, Molina's wife, uh, Dr. Octopus, Dr. Octopus's wife, um, which is a brutal, brutal kill. It's a shard of glass that comes essentially right at her face, mm -hmm. shot wonderfully uh, by Pope. Um, the bank heist is has a great mix of humor you know and puts aunt may in danger i still every single time she's hanging from the umbrella uh, i i breathe a sigh of relief when she lands on the ledge and is right underneath her feet uh Raimi shot that beautifully the train sequence that kevin mentioned earlier has got to be still one of the greatest action set pieces in any spider-man film i think the movie kind of ends there the stuff at the warehouse is fine but uh, after that sequence it's all downhill um it shows peter you know sacrificing himself to stop the train 
uh, has some of the worst CGI at the very end. I cannot not watch that sequence without the very end when the train is going off the the rail and he's stopped it. But it 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 still just sort of bubbles forward a little bit. And there's a cartoon Spider-Man <laughs> hanging onto the front. Oh, you I like, I, I've never it. noticed that. And now I feel oh, like I'm not going to be able to unsee it. It's ruined right before they put his their hands on his chest to catch him before he falls. There's a horrible cgi toby mcguire that's like rattling on the front of the train awful i can't not say it any single time um and it's great everybody 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 understood the assignment they totally understood what they needed to do to evolve those characters uh whether it be toby or kirsten or james franco uh melina coming on board it's funny kevin you were talking about like having a, an actor like melina come in and, and not expect to play a villain but like that even goes back to you know nicholson playing the joker or ian mckellen playing magneto it was almost like real actors understood oh wait we can take these parts you know there there's good material here and if we um treat them seriously then we can actually and and i think you see so much of that nowadays with robert redford you know being in captain america and you know michael douglas being in ant-man and all this different stuff so um all that and 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 also tim burton's batman i do want to mention was grounded but in a different way, I felt like yeah. that it feels uh, like it, there's definitely a grounded nature to what Burton did and what Nicholson did and Keaton did. Of course, and I don't want to discount that. But there was something about Spider-Man 2 that just hit differently. Sure. I don't know. I just it just it was just the tone of it. It was just awesome. It was well yeah. made. Well, I mean, everything level. about it. It was definitely street. Level. I agree. It didn't feel, it Burton's got didn't feel fantastical. Felt like yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a good There's way to put it. some real beauty okay. to that. All right, audience yeah. picks. Uh, Matt Karen went with Army of Darkness. Can't go wrong with there. William Barnes backed us up, said a simple plan. Uh, Johnny went with the OG Evil Dead, and there's a lot, a lot of love for uh, all three of his Spider-Man films. So terrific choices by everybody who all played three? along with Sam Raimi Blind. Um, yeah, just first two. I remember yeah. one of the first interviews I ever, one of the first interviews I ever did for my old movie show was I had Sam Raimi on for Drag Me to Hell, which is a really great I like movie of his. Really scary. And I remember Spider Man Three just came out. And I'm like, hey man, I actually really like Spider Man Three. He goes, you and my mom. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right, you know what? I'm cool. Mrs. Raimi and I are in the same boat. I'm good. All right. So next week, uh, reach out on Twitter. Or you can let us know your pick via email at realblendedcinemablend.com. We're going to be playing hashtag summer movie 2023 blend. It's a long ass hashtag. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Summer movie 2023 blend. And Gabe, what does that mean? The movie that we're most anticipating? Most anticipating in the summer season. May is uh, when the, the summer movies kick off officially. And we're getting one right at the top with uh, can Guardians. We, can we, for shits and giggles, take Oppenheimer out of the conversation? Can we just say that that's understood? Uh, okay sure for uh, the, other for people the folks, though for the folks at home give me your the honest folks answer. can play i'm saying for yes. us i mean to because be fair oppenheimer was not going to be my pick so you're saying you're basically you're saying it was going to be kevin so you're removing it for kevin i'm removing it for kevin okay because i still okay. want to be able to play the game and okay. the okay. great plot game. twist is if his number two is barbie all right yeah everyone out there you can pick oppenheimer i just won't pick it yes we all we all know that it's actually the the correct choice to well this and question. i won't pick how about this i won't pick um across the spider-verse because that seems too easy well i already know your i know your mission come, come to the table you boys come to the table with a couple might not be a couple options oh okay Folks we can home. play a few just bring a couple options know what your list is and we'll have a conversation five everyone Folks bring five 
No, no. <laughs> we do not have time for that. <laughs> All right. Uh, here is the point in the show where I would normally read reviews from our dear listeners, but no one has sent us one in a really long time. Why do you hate us? So instead, I will go right to the outro. Uh, our next premium episode is a mailbag which we always enjoy doing. If you want to send us some questions that you would like answered from the three or four of us, uh, drop us a question again uh, in the description to tell you where you can sign up for real blend premium, which gets you a bonus episode of the show, a newsletter and an ad free version of the main show. In the meantime, follow us on social media at Jake's takes at Kevin McCarthy TV at Sean underscore O'Connell at Gabe Kovach. And the show is at real blend. We'll be back next week with a bonus episode on Wednesday. Uh, a full episode on the Friday show, and we're going to play Summer Movie Blend. So we'll see you guys then. Ruby. Oppenheimer. I'm going to say Dead Reckoning Part 1 because we want Tom Cruise on the show. Barbie.